Um, right now, not getting a lot of sleep, you know, that comes with the territory. But uh, but it's all worth it, though, to know that you have a healthy baby and, um, you know, he, he's growing and everything. It, it makes it all worth it. So it's, it's amazing, man. I'm loving fatherhood. Yeah, that's what's up. I got some time before I get there, but that's, uh, that's super <laughs> that's super dope and Isaiah came December and 2020 which was a crazy year we're now in 2021 going into 2021 what's one thing that you could say like you learned or that you've brought into 2021 from that long year of 2020 um probably something that I haven't um mastered yet but I think the thing that I'm working on the most this year is priorities. And what I'm realizing is that already we're only a month into 2021. I think the thing that I'm realizing now is that what got me, what got me by, what made me successful in 2020 are not going to be the same things that made me successful in 2021. And specifically, like when it comes to having a baby, like, so just to keep it a stack, like before we had Isaiah, I would, you know, work at, as long as I wanted to. If I, you know, got off at five, I feel like going to the gym. I feel like stopping by the mall. Like it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? Like you just got a whole bunch of time. And when he, when he was born, I was kind of still in that same flow. And like, it does, it doesn't work. Like it doesn't work with wifey. It doesn't work with the family. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, so what I'm learning is that you have to prioritize for the next phase of life that you're in. You can't take whatever got you here. Um, I wish I could say that I'm doing that perfectly, but I'm not because that's, you know, the only way that I'm able to do everything that I want to do is by getting up early. And that's not something that I get excited about, you know. Um, so I'm still learning it, but I think that's so far like the, the biggest lesson that I'm taking into uh, 2021. Hey, progression, not perfection. So that's it, you're, trying. you're trying on that regard. Um, we're going to get into your career and everything like that. You play football we already talked about that mm-hmm. one championship at VSU mm-hmm. what started your love for football where did that begin for you so actually it was my love for basketball that got me to my love for football so I love basketball like basketball I would even say basketball still is my first love um, I played it all through you know elementary school middle school and freshman year I got cut so that was kind of the the time where it's like I could either try and be good at something that I might not be that good at, or I could kind of like, you know, invest into something that I have natural gifts and abilities in. So it was almost like the failure of not making the team, which was actually a blessing, you know, which was not making a team freshman year in basketball to be like, you know what, I'm done with basketball. I'm gonna put all of my, you know, effort and energy into football. And then that was my freshman year of high school. And I think that's when I started taking it serious. Like I played Pop Warner and stuff like that. But once I realized that basketball wasn't going to be it, it was like, all right, I'm about to, I'm about to just put all my eggs in the football and see how far it could take me, you know? No, oh, I mean, I see here six four, cornerback, defensive. Were you playing yeah, so, back your whole, your whole life or was it, were you a wide out first? So, so I went to VSU. It's a black school. So we, we were, they they messed everything up. The website isn't accurate. So I'm actually five eight. So I don't know who somebody was 
Yeah, yeah. Somebody was uh, tripping in the athletic department that day. So hopefully that person still isn't working there. <laughs> yo, yo, it's crazy. I, yeah, I saw six four defensive back, and I'm like, he should be in the league. Like, there's a there's a corner, there's a cornerback two spot that for the open for the New York Giants that you could easily be playing at six four. I mean, bro, yo, people people probably came to the game as like a six four corner, like, and then they saw my they saw me run on the field. They was like, yo, we just wasted our time. <laughs> 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 you're a slot corner you're a slot corner at five eight. yeah yeah man that's dope though <laughs> did you always play did you always play that position or was it different positions growing up yeah so um I think in high school I played receiver so that's I like that was my spot like I knew that was where I ended up like starting and playing um so once I made I made the team I think like in high school as a corner or something like that just a good athlete but you know, my uh, I didn't. My skills weren't honed, if that makes sense. It's just raw talent, you know. Um, and Coach Bowen actually was, you know, everyone has that coach who kind of takes them under their wing and like they see something in you. Um, coach Bowen was my coach uh, sophomore year when I got to like JV varsity, and he saw something in me at receiver. They moved me to receiver um, my sophomore year, and the rest was history. So that's when I like. It's kind of like this theme of like, okay, finding out what I'm actually naturally gifted at and then once you find out what that is then give everything you got to that you know and then I ended up playing um receiver in college too so um yeah it was, it was pretty much corner than receiver then I was like oh I'm actually kind of good at receiver then I kept I kept that all the way through with playing receiver now like I know a wide receiver and defensive back footwork mm -hmm. is key like running routes how did you perfect your footwork and running routes? Like, what did your workouts look like for you? For some of the younger listeners that we have that want to mm -hmm. work on their footwork, what were some of the workouts that you did? Yeah, so I think, um, well, first of all, like the thing that separates a receiver or a DB from those who play and those who don't play is going to be your footwork, like you said. If you're a receiver and you can't get open, you're not going to play because the quarterback can't get you the ball, and you know that's not going to be good for the offense. Um, the same thing with defensive back. If you can't cover anybody, if you can't beat a receiver in and out of his breaks, then you ain't going to play. You know what I'm saying? Um, so it was everything from the ladder drill to cone drills to running route. I would probably say, um, I would probably say like cone drills and just flat out running routes, like learn how to run routes. If you're a young receiver out there and you have aspirations to get better and aspirations to play, find somebody who could throw you the ball. Don't got to be anybody with a good arm. You Honestly, you don't even need the ball, to, you know, to start out with. But, you know, practice running an out route. Practice, practice running a slant route. Practice your three-step. Practice your five-step. Like, practice all of that because when you get in the game, it doesn't matter if you're fast. It doesn't matter if you have good hands. If you can't get open – there's nothing that separates you from the next receiver who's trying to play. Hmm. Well, you know, it's it's funny you say that too. Were you a slot receiver first of all? Uh, I was slot in high school, and then I ended up playing uh, outside once I got to college. Wow, what was the biggest difference between playing slot and playing on the outside as a receiver? I was too slow in college. I was I was too slow. Once once you get to the college level, the speed of the game picks up because. You know, everybody was the best player on their team on both sides, you know, offense and defense. Um, so I wasn't quite quick enough because when you play slot, if you look at like a Wes Welker or um, or a, a um, 
what's his name, uh, Edelman. When you look at those guys, their first two steps off the line are what separates them from, you know, uh, their defender. So I was quick, um, but I wasn't quick enough to where I could, you know, give them something real quick at the line and get open. So I had more of the, the slant routes from the outside, the hitches, the comebacks, where the quarterback had more time to give me the ball so I could get open. <laughs> what players did you look up to growing up? Uh, wide receiver wise, I guess, right? I mean, yeah, Randy Moss, man. Randy Moss was my favorite player. I personally still think that he's the greatest receiver of all time. I know Jerry Rice has all the records, but the the specimen, no, he was uncoverable. Like you can't cover him. He was fast. He was tall. He had good hands. Um, you know how it is. Like everybody, everybody got mossed at high school. Everyone got mossed, you know, in the, in the playground and stuff like that. Um, but that was probably like when I got to college because Victor Cruz. Uh, was was like the giant star player when I was high school and college. So Victor Cruz is who I, uh, you know, who I looked to once I got once I got older. I thought you were gonna say Victor Cruz because your years <laughs> of playing football intertwined yeah. his career, and he at that time like he had a thirteen hundred yard season with Eli, and yep. he was going crazy. He was he was on a crazy trajectory to be like this incredible player yeah. pre-injury, right? And so, yeah, yeah, I, I thought you might say that. <laughs> yeah, Victor Cruz. Um, my I was in college 2011 uh my sophomore year when the Giants won their second Super Bowl um and Victor Cruz played in that Super Bowl so it was like everything and that was right when I started playing in college too so that was Victor Cruz everything wanted to be just like him speaking of college right why did you choose VSU could it have been any other school Jersey grown Jersey bred to go all the way down south to VSU, HBCU at that also. Mm -hmm. What was mm -hmm. the thought process in your choosing that school? Yeah, so um, number one, I wanted to get away from home. So it wasn't like <laughs> a lot of magic that went into it. Um, second, my mom actually went to Virginia State. And mm. my, mom is, my mom is from Virginia, so that's kind of where the connection comes from. I wanted to get away from home, and my mom was – from Virginia State so it was a pretty easy like okay where can I go because I, I still tried to play it smart a little bit like where could I go and still have like the grandma to go to go to her house and wash my clothes and get some food and stuff like that um I wish I would have had the foresight to say oh this is a, a historically black college coming out of high school um but for me it wasn't that intentional once I got there, though, and now that I've graduated, I'm really glad that I went to HBCU. But I, I got to be honest, I can't say, like, you know, I, I chose it off jump. But once I got there and I, like, really, really understood what, what, what I was a part of, I'm glad that, you know, VSU is where I ended up at. Well, I mean, one question that jumped to mind right away is why were you glad you went to HBCU, right? As someone who didn't go, like, I mean, myself. Yeah, yeah. Curious. Yeah, yeah, man. I think, yo – it's it's this crazy feeling, and this this is gonna sound funny, but this is it's the truth. Going to and I'm not even lying. Going to an HBCU feels like you're going to the family cookout. That's exactly how it feels. It's just that feeling of everybody everybody is for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, and specifically from um, uh, professors and administration, like. Every you don't have to question if this person wants me to win. Like they want you to win, you know. And a lot of it is because they they understand the experiences and the backgrounds of a lot of the black kids that were coming there, um, and the type of households and families that they were coming from. And then also like 
you know, if I'm sitting in a history class at Virginia State, I can trust that this history professor is going to give me a full perspective of what U.S. history looks like. Not like no shade to Columbia, but, you know, I learned I learned uh, in high school that the civil rights movement was just a thing that happened, you know, um, not necessarily um, a movement and a movement that we're still actually fighting today, you know. So I think that um, coming out of Virginia State, like I think I, uh, I understood why the world needs me, you know, and why the world needs young black people um, to embrace who they are. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think, I think, I mean, y'all know this, like you guys see the world that we live in, but, you know, I think I did, HBCUs just hold a special place in my heart because I think it gave me a greater appreciation for, um, who I am as a black man, but then also why it's so important that HBCUs survive. You know, I know you guys are aware, but a lot of HBCUs, especially during the pandemic, like went under and struggled financially, you know? Um, and clearly this world and our country needs a place for black students to be safe in the education realm, you know? Um, so I'm glad, I'm glad that I went to an HBCU Hopefully Isaiah will try to follow in my footsteps. You know what I'm saying? Um, but yeah, it was it was a great experience. That was a long a long answer to your question, but it was a, it was an awesome experience. No, it was a great answer. It was a great answer. It's illuminating for me because you know I hear my friends talk about going to HBCUs and how special it is, right? And mm-hmm. I honestly I never visited an HBCU when I went to college, not because mm-hmm. I didn't want, not because I, I thought less of them in, in, in any way, but because yeah financially it's just about what was financially feasible i went to right. the area right i went to one in patterson right yeah um and so now that's how y'all know each other willie p, willie willie, p willie p, yeah i mean it, i me and tony met um through basketball more so than anything okay. else right that was before hb and then i realized we went to the same school and it was like oh, all right that's cool that's dope but it was more yeah. through basketball that we had met um but yeah no like if you go to william patterson it's super diverse but it's not the same not like mm-hmm. not like what you're talking about like you know, yeah. obviously, you're surrounded by that, surrounded by your yeah. culture, and you're you're getting to learn from people who really care about what happens. Yeah. And you don't always get that yeah. sense of William Patterson. That much is true. And I love William Patterson. Yeah. Right? I went, I got a free right. master's degree, but right. you know, still, like, it's it's not the same. So I, I definitely right. understand. I've always wanted that perspective. So I appreciate that answer for sure. Yeah, man. Yeah, appreciate you asking. Yo, shout out to HBCU. Shout out to people like Chris Paul who make sure that he puts HBCUs in the forefront. Um, I wanted to go to HBCU, but, you know, it wasn't my decision because I visited Morgan State. Okay. I was sold. I was sold. I wanted to go to Morgan State. Mama Burnett didn't want me to go that far. So. <laughs> but I she was sold. To stay close. I, I, went to, I went to Morgan State on a visit, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is it. This, mm-hmm. this is the place right here. But, you know, you still at your mama's house, so you got to go with what your mama said. I, I get it. I understand, man. Speaking of your son, so this mm-hmm. is something that, you know, we always have discussions with football players in the future with everything that's mm-hmm. going on with CTE, concussion protocol. How does that factor in uh, with your son? Are you hesitant to let him play football? What's your thoughts on that? Because football is a sport that you love. Yeah, and that's it's a it's a tension, man. Because me and Keisha talk about this. We don't talk about it a lot, but it is something that we talk about. Um, 
I think I'm blessed to have made it through playing pretty much my whole life without having any serious injuries. But I also know that a lot of people aren't blessed in that way, you know. And when you talk about um, CTE, Antonio, you don't know until 50 years later, you know. So, you know, Lord willing, I won't have any serious injuries as a result of playing football. But now that I know, and I even thought about this because um, I had just finished the season my senior year, I think concussion came out the next the next year. Um, so all that research was kind of being made public and CTE became like a big thing. I don't, I don't know if I would have even kept playing if I knew the consequences of CTE, you know? Um, so when it comes to him, it's almost like I love football and I love the atmosphere. I love, you know, a lot of my closest friends, you know, are people I met through football. So I understand like the, the X factor that it brings to your life other than just playing. And y'all understand that because y'all met through playing basketball, you know? Um, but it's, it's almost for me, like if I had to answer right now, I would probably say no. And I think the reason would be, it's one thing if I didn't know and I played, you know what I'm saying? And I played and I made it through, but now that I know, I don't know if I could just put him out there on the field, just knowing that like, this is something that could potentially harm him 30, 40 years down the line, you know? Um, if he makes a decision, I think, like, if he has a desire for it and he really, really wants to play, then I think it'd probably be, a, you know, a conversation at that point. But if if he's like, hey, mom, dad, if you don't want me to play, which most kids probably won't do, but um, if y'all don't want me to play, then I won't play. I think that'll be it. I think I'll encourage him to definitely be in athletics in some way, whether basketball, baseball, um, you know, running track or something like that. But just knowing what we know now, I just don't know. You know, I just don't – I don't know. It's, it's scary, bro. Yeah. yeah, it definitely is something serious to definitely consider. Um, my parents didn't want me to play football for – this is before the concussions and everything came out, but just how violent of a sport it really is. Like, yeah. that's one of the most violent sports that we have. Right? It's, it's literally like gladiators, honestly. It's it is. really like that. It is, bro. And um, oh, right around that same time is when the NFL had like this initiative to make sure that kids knew how to actually tackle the proper way, you know, because you had all these concussion injuries and neck injuries and stuff like that. Um, and the more I thought about it, I'm like, why did my parents let me play this game? Like, why, why did they let, because you're right, bro. It's, it's, it's literally a, a contact collision sport. Like at all, you just bearing your body on the line, you know? Um, but I'm I'm in it, you know, looking back, because while I was in college, you couldn't pay me money to, to not play, you know. So if he has that type of love for the game, I understand, because I was the same way, and I'm pretty sure you guys are the same way with basketball. Like, when you love something enough, you will do some crazy stuff, you know, just like when it comes to relationships as well. So we'll see, man. But if, if I had to choose for him right now, I'd probably say no. Speaking of with college, what are some of your – most fond memories playing at VSU? Probably homecoming, man. Probably homecoming. Homecoming at an HBCU is just a different, different story. It's like it's about the game, but it's really not about the game. It's what happens before the game, at halftime, and then after the game. But I just think like, oh, man, y'all bringing me back to all the good memories. But uh, just running on the field, 
and you see the stadium packed, homecoming. It's usually against a rival. So um, our rival, our homecoming, every year we play Bowie State. We play Bowie State every year for homecoming. And um, it's just, it's to me, it's the unity. You see everybody that went to Virginia State, they came back, they on the yard, they chilling, they at the football game. And it's like, it's that it's that sense of I, I don't I didn't go to a um like a normal school you know so I don't know what it's like between like the dynamics and what events feel like and stuff like that but homecoming always felt like love because everybody was out there to have one to do one thing and that's to have fun that's all it was you know um so those homecoming games and you know your my parents coming down for them and you know them making them special for the players and stuff like that. Um, and then of course, like, you know, all the, all the fun stuff that happens after like the parties and the step show. And, uh, it's just home, homecoming week at a HBCU. There was no class. Like it was either your professor canceled class or you just didn't go to class, but there was no class homecoming week at a HBCU. It's, it's almost like, um, like inauguration week, like everything shuts down for, for homecoming. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely for sure about homecoming, bro. Like from people that go yeah. to HBCUs, like it's it's one of their best memories of college. Like for real, did bro. you go to ever go down to one HBCU tour ever? Any? I went to Morgan State HBCU weekend. <laughs> bananas, <laughs> bananas, bro. I went once off of that, and I went during a basketball game. It was just different on that aspect. Now I've been to a bunch of college games before that. The band and the cheerleaders, mm-hmm. it was just completely different. Like, it was a yeah. full-blown, you know, the Super Bowl halftime? That's what it was going on during the game. Mm, yeah. mm, mm. Like, they, the band, yeah. you know, I'm a, I'm an instrument type of guy. That's the type mm-hmm. I love hearing the instrumentation and music. Yeah. I was so, I'm like, yo, if I could get play in front of this that's, two, three yeah. times a week. Yo, that's that's another thing. Like, when you're when you're on the field and, like, the band is playing the latest Drake song or the the band is playing the latest, I don't know, whoever the hottest rapper, whatever the, like, whatever the hottest song is or the hottest song of that season, like, the band is playing that. You know what I'm saying? And, like, in between timeouts, you have the band playing, you look in the stands and people dancing. It's, like, it's, it's, a, it's a movie. Like, it's no other way to – and it's normal, though. It's normal. Like, it's not like people are looking around like, oh, what's happening? Like, no, this is what happens literally every week at a HBCU football game, you know? I think, I think too, the craziest thing about uh, the culture on HBCUs is, is you don't get to see it. If you, if you think about it, when you watch like the best, best college basketball teams play or best college football teams play, you don't see HBCU culture represented that often because those schools don't tend to attract the best players. Right. Like, and it's because there's a foothold on that game. Right. Is a, a foothold on, on like, the top recruits and things of that nature. That's starting to change, though, right? I, I don't yeah. know. I'm sure you've yeah. seen that. That's starting to change. Yeah. So what I'm really excited about is that I, I, I definitely think that my outlook on where I would have gone to college would have been different if I would gotten to see, you know, them on TV, see these schools play on TV and them represented, right, and get to see yeah. a, uh, Howard on on TV and see their their halftime shows and things like that, right? Instead, I got, yeah. to, I got to grow up idolizing UNC and wanting to go there, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know and I and I yeah. nothing against UNC, but like I really believe that I think more black kids would want to go to HBCUs indefinitely if they'd gotten a chance to see it on mainstream media 
Yeah, bro. Growing up, right? Yeah, um, representation matters, man. Yeah, representation matters. I think, like, I think, kind of going back to what I said about just knowing that people care about you. Like, I know, I know that I know that I know that my coaches cared about us as men. Like, they really wanted to see us succeed. You know, I didn't go to a Duke or a UNC. But from what I know about college athletics and know that that's a division one school and a powerhouse, let's keep it a stack, man. Maybe the head coach cares about you, but at the end of the day, you're, you're there to make that school money. You know what I'm saying? Like if you, and this is, I don't know where I want to take the conversation, but this is a whole, you look at the fab five, like the reason why they had to leave is because the school was literally exploiting them, you know, like, the fact that they were making the school millions and millions of dollars and Chris Webber couldn't even eat dinner. Like that's ridiculous, you know? So the fact that, you know, college sports and definitely at the division one level is a straight business um, compared to, I went, you know, going to HBCU and my coach really wanted to see us win. You know what I'm saying? He, he knew that football wasn't going to last forever and that if we weren't going to be good men in life then we weren't going to be successful you know, that's the part of it that kind of separates it. It's like, I'm going to be done playing football eventually, but, you know, Coach Scott, Coach Jones, like, they actually care about me, you know what I'm saying? Um, and to me, it, like, like you said, man, like, if, if kids knew that that's what the experience was going to be like, I think a lot more of them would choose going to HBCU. Well, it's starting to change. It's all changing in front of us in real time. I think that's the coolest yeah. thing. Some of the best yeah. players in high school basketball are targeting – these uh, HBCUs, and yeah. I, I know that like one day my kid is going to see that mm-hmm. on TV. They're going to see yeah. incredible play at a high level at HBCUs, and you, and it's not going to be so much about the incredible play as it, as much as it is right. as it, as it is going to be about like that platform that HBCUs get right. Right. Like, everyone gets to see the bands. Everyone gets to see because I think First Take did a bunch of shows mm. from HBCUs on HBCU Week, and it was yeah. it was insane. Like I was like, yo, what is going on? Like I was <laughs> what is this? Like this is insane. Like yeah. why was I? I was the wrong place. It, it was yeah. it incredible. Like it was there was so much going on, and it just played so much fun. So yeah, um, it's a regret of mine I have, right? So mm. hearing you talk about your experience there is something I, I've. It's illuminating for me. So like for sure, like, yeah. I, and and it's gonna change, and that's the cool. Yeah, thing about it. it's gonna. It's all gonna yeah. change. Yeah, man, I love it. I love it. Transitioning real quick to you mentioning coaches actually caring about the kids, actually caring about them becoming men. You were a teacher, and I know mm. you cared a lot about the kids and yeah, the future yeah. and teaching them. So talk to us about teaching and how you got into being a teacher. Yeah, I, I, uh, I forgot, man, you came to a career day. I forgot you came to a career day that we had. Tonio had showed them all the moves and told them their story. Um, so I'm going to start there, then I'll go back to how I got into teaching. But I really wanted to bring – I brought you in um, as a professional basketball player, and I brought Leon in, who's a firefighter. And I wanted to see kids that look like us see adults and men who were productive members in society that weren't necessarily just rappers or, you know, entertainers. You know what I'm saying? Um so I thought it was real cool that, you know, you could see these things on TV, but if you don't see those things up close, then it's hard to think that that's what you can do, you know? So um, that's why I thought it was really cool that day that you were able to come and Leon was able to come because it's like, 
no, look, it's not just on TV. Like he's sitting right in front of you. Like it's possible if you put in the work and, you know, um, but, uh, but I got into teaching. I wouldn't even say like, it was a passion of mine. Like, honestly, it, it turned into one for sure, but it definitely didn't start out that way. Um, but I got into teaching because uh, my degree, my degree is in social work. So coming out of school, I did like some group counseling and I did like some after school programs with kids um, that were ther- more therapeutic. Um, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed helping, helping kids. But I knew and I still even believe this today, like, I think the greatest the greatest opportunity that kids have um, for a bright future is through education and specifically through their educators. And I think we could probably all in this call name our favorite teacher from high school or elementary school. And it's because those teachers made an impact on you, you know? Um, And I always wanted to be in a place where I can make the greatest impact. So um, I got into teaching like that. I'm like, if I can just get in the classroom, you know, um, I worked at, Spark Academy, which is downtown Newark, which, which was 90, 99% Black, and the 0.1% was Hispanic. So I don't think we had any anything else in that school. Um, but just the presence of having a Black male in the classroom totally shifts the dynamic, you know? Um, there was a lot of kids in that, in that class who, A, didn't have a father or didn't have a present father. And not that I went in to try to be their dad, but I went in to say, hey, there, here's a black man who cares about me and is trying to get me to value education. So I loved every every second of it. Tone, Tone see me. He's been around my class and my students and everything like that. Um, but I would say it's probably one of the most fulfilling things that I've ever done. I, taught, I only taught for two years, but to know every single day that you made an impact on those kids, like every day, you know what I'm saying? Like, even if it was a rough day, you know how kids are like, they'll give you a run for your money. And sometimes lessons don't go the way they are. And, you know, sometimes, you know, teachers have rough days. That's, that's part of the, the plan, the deal, you know. Um, but to know that even if I my lesson didn't go the way I wanted it to, if I hugged the kid that day, or if I smiled the kid that day, or if I told them I loved them, or if I asked them how their family's doing or what they did over the weekend, like, that's the real mark of a teacher. Because I guarantee you right now, there's not one kid that I had who remembers anything I taught them as far as like education. You know what I'm saying? Like they don't remember multiplication. They don't remember, like Mr. Thomas told me how to divide. Like they don't remember any of that stuff. They remember on the playground when Mr. Thomas listened to him talk about, you know, what's happening at home. Or um, I thought it was real cool. Like a couple of times I got invited to birthday parties and that's when you know it's real. Like, you know, you invited your teacher like that's, I thought that was mad corny like you why would you want your teacher to be at your birthday party you know what I'm saying but it's because they were so proud like they want their family to meet their teacher that's how I knew I was making a difference so like yes what you what they learn obviously is very important but more than that I think what they see and what's modeled for them is more important than that that's a that's a big point too and I know that you, they always say you don't remember what people necessarily say or do, but you remember the way they make you feel, right? So, like, yeah. I think that, that all goes back to that. Like, I, I, my favorite teachers, I can remember just the way I felt when I interacted with them as opposed to what I learned from them. That's, that's a lasting mark. And also, you definitely take for granted um, going to public school your whole life, the influence of having a Black teacher. Because the first mm-hmm. time I had a Black teacher, I it was instant. I knew right then and there the difference. So, like, yeah. I knew, like, I know exactly what you're saying there. I mean, 
Um, it sounds like you taught kids that are, uh, that are younger, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, fourth grade. Okay. So, like, did you ever any, have any aspirations of teaching kids that were older, uh, like high school and getting to that? Yeah, yeah. And, like, I always thought that if my plan, if, if teaching was going to be, like, the thing that I made a career out of, like, a long-term thing, I think eventually I wanted to move up to, like, the high school er- uh, area and, and coach football at the same time. Um, elementary school is definitely pivotal. But high school is really pivotal because that's when kids are really starting to understand who they are. Um, they're starting to make decisions that will affect them for the rest of their life. You know what I'm saying? Um, peer pressure is extremely real. Kids have a lot more freedom and a lot more access to the things that could either be productive or destructive in their lives. You know what I'm saying? So I think that high school would probably been what I would have loved to get into. Um, just to know that you know you you these kids have four years and what they do now is kind of going to inform what they do in some cases for the rest of their life um so if I had a chance to move up a little bit I probably would have moved to the high school high school range shout out to Mr. Higgins Mr. Take shout out to that I can't remember a name but it's a couple <laughs> teachers that definitely like I go back to Western Orange High School and I go back to William Patterson there's some teachers that definitely still have an impact still. I remember like, and it's something I always admire too, of you being a teacher. I didn't get my first black male teacher till college at William Patterson. Mm. My senior year, I got two black teachers in one semester. That was the first time I had a black male teacher <laughs> for, a, for a hip hop class and a, uh, a marketing class, something like that. But one of them was for a hip hop class. Like, the study yeah. of uh, the history of hip hop. Yeah. Senior year. So I definitely agree. That's a major key important that we need to see more representation of black male teachers, black teachers in general, um, yeah. in the school systems, yeah. even from elementary all the way higher, especially at the higher, uh, higher level. Like you said, that's part of one of the perks of going to the HBCU. Mm-hmm. Coming yeah. closer to the end before we transition, we got one segment we call with the quickness segment. We actually uh-huh. like some rapid fire questions, whatever comes off <laughs> of your head. But we got a couple more before we get there. Uh, now, currently, you're a pastor. How did mm-hmm. that come about? How did you transition to that? How was that for you? Because yeah. you ended up having to move to North Carolina, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whew, crazy story, bro. Crazy story. Um, so um, I'm teaching at, uh, at Spark. I'm in Jersey, me and Tony at the same church, like, I'm where I grew up. So I went to college in Virginia State, and I came back home um, to, to teach, and, you know, my family was up here. So I basically came back home after I graduated. Um, and, like, kind of like I said, like, I knew that, like, I was called to help people, but I, I couldn't quite find that lane. You know, you know, like, when you feel like you're getting closer and closer. So when I graduated, I had a degree in social work. And what's funny, so this is kind of like a longer line, but I changed my major my sophomore year. And I know that's like not good in college, you know what I'm saying? Because you had two full years of one major. And I mean, I changed it second semester of sophomore year. So I had two full years under my belt. But I just, and I was a, I was a communications major because I wanted to do sports reporting when I, when I graduated from school. Um, so, but I just knew it wasn't right. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know how when you just, you just know that it's just not right, even though like, you know, it may be more convenient. So the end of my sophomore year, I changed to social work because that was like the closest thing that I could find. Like, I just want to help people. I don't know what it looks like, but 
and that actually added one more year onto my college, you know, me being in college. So I did five years at Virginia State instead of four as a super senior. Um, but then I got into counseling and I was great and I did it for a year, but I was like, this quite isn't it. I was like, maybe it's teaching because I could be in the classroom. Um, and then what I realized when I was teaching, I was also the youth pastor at the church that Antonio and I were at. I realized that I had a passion for just people in general, not necessarily kids. I thought it was always kids. Um, and I and I knew that I want I always said to myself, like, if I could be if I could be in full time ministry at a at a church that I loved, at a church that my family could be a part of, like a church where I could one day raise my son. I want to give my life to that, you know what I'm saying? And I could get paid for it. Cause the church that I was at, Antonio knows like couldn't afford to pay me. So it was like, I just, it just wasn't, you know, no shade, but it just wasn't where I was going to be as far as having a family. Um, so ended up, uh, my brother actually sent me a sermon from Elevation and Pastor Steven. And I was like, yo, what is this? Like, this looks crazy. Um, so I ended up applying and um, I got down there and Keisha went with me. And it was, it was almost confirmation, like, hey, everything that you've been trying to figure out on how you can, like, live in your purpose, like, this is it right here, you know? Um, what's interesting about that story is, and I don't even think I told Antonio or, like, the rest, of, the rest of the team when I left, I didn't have a guaranteed job when I moved down there. So, basically, what I, what I got accepted to was an apprenticeship, was, like, a, a paid internship, basically, Um to where you would do six months there of training and you may or may not be offered a job. So I, I even left teaching and I left what I was doing with the church up here just for the chance of getting hired there. But it was, it's almost like, you know, having faith in yourself that, Hey, if this is something I believe in, then I'm a, I'm a, I'm a push all my chips to the middle or at the same time, like, Hey, I have enough faith in God that if, if I step out in faith, he'll sustain me, he'll keep me, you know? Um, so that's how I got into it. Um, but I, I didn't become a pastor until actually this past year. So I, I got ordained officially as a pastor, um, in June of 2020 in the midst of the craziest year ever, you know, in the pandemic, but then also I call it the civil rights movement. Cause I think that's what it was in 2020. Um, but in the middle of that also, and that kind of confirmed to me, like, um, God kind of saying, Hey, I've always had this plan for you. And even though you thought that you were kind of like getting off the path or getting off of what you were supposed to be doing, like, this is it, you know? Um, and to be able to be um, ordained as a pastor here in the middle of like one of the worst years in human history, <laughs> honestly, um, let me know that like, that's, that's why I'm here. Like this, this is a broken world that we live in. It's a hurting world that we live in. And out of all years, right, God can God can do whatever he wants. So he could have made me a pastor last year or a pastor this year, but um, he chose to, to I guess he would, uh, I don't like saying this, but I guess he would say elevate in a time where there was a lot of like despair and, and destruction. Um, so, so yeah, that's how I got into it. So I can't say that I thought I would always be a pastor. It's almost like me kind of orchestrating my own path and then God getting me to a point where it's like, this is what I had for you the whole time, you know? How was it again, during that time of 2020, you get ordained and we have everything that's going on with civil rights and the killing of black people, unfortunately continuing and I know I saw through Instagram, you were at a couple of events, you spoke up on it, 
what was that like for you and balancing out and speaking up on it? Like, was it an easy decision to speak out on it? Um, like, how did that go about for you, that process? Yeah, man. So just to give some context, um, I'm a pastor at Elevation Church. Um, and Elevation, I would say it's a diverse church, but I'm going to be honest and say that it it's probably uh, it's probably a greater percentage of white people that go to our church. Um, so when you take into account what the Black Lives Matter movement is and stands for, um, it was interesting, man. And I'll be honest, I think I was faced with ooh, do I say something and offend somebody or maybe even offend the majority of people who go to our church? Or do I just, if I don't say anything, it'll kind of just blow over, you know what I'm saying? And I just made a decision, like, I'm gonna just be, I'm gonna be true. And if it ends up getting me to a spot where I'm not liked or I'm not accepted, it is what it is, you know? Um, So we ended up, uh, I ended up speaking up and I essentially over a course of a lot of conversations and a lot of different, like, you know, different things, but I ended up saying at the time, and I'll give you guys even more context so you kind of understand where I was at. At the time, I was the only black person on my staff here. So there was eight of us on staff and I was the only black person. So you can imagine like, while all this is happening, everybody's looking at me. They're like, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) They might not be saying anything, but they want to see how you're moving in a time like this, you know? and I, I did my best to not hold back and speak up. And I think the overall sentiment that I had um, during last year was, this isn't new for black people, you know? Like this may be new to the rest of the world and um, uh, the killing of unarmed black men or black people in general may be, may be new to you, but it's not new to me. And this is my experience. And I talked a lot about growing up and driving while black I'm sure both of you guys are familiar with that. And, um, you know, everything that comes with being a black man in America, that was all news to them. And I think a light bulb moment for them was, man, how did I live in the same America that you're living in, but I didn't know anything about this. And I think that's where a lot of the problems come in. You know, it's like, hey, we're both living in the same country, but my experience is different than yours. How come we never talk about this, you know? Um, so we shed a lot about that. And then also from like, it's that tension of being a black man and being a pastor, you know, like I can't separate the two. So it was, there was moments of tension for me, like, cause I'm gonna be honest with y'all, y'all, this is the podcast. I'm gonna keep it a stack. There was moments, there was moments when I was like, yo, I don't want to be a pastor right now. I need to tell y'all about yourself right now, you know, but that's also, I also believe that God put me in that position to help pastor them and help to see injustice and racism for what it really is. So for me, it was a lot of, um, a lot of praying before I said things and hope I said it right. Um, but ultimately I, I tried, I didn't get it perfect every time. There are probably times when I posted something that was probably a little bit too abrasive or probably a conversation that was probably not as warm. But I tried to filter all through the lens of, um, at the end of the day, like, we're all created by God. Like, we're all made at the hands and the image of God, right? So if if we are, then that means that you need to see me as a child of God, but I also need to see you as a child of God as well, you know? So it has to work both ways. So 2020 was a year full of 
conversations and perspective and, you know, really just taking the mask off. Because I think until it affects you, then you don't really care about it, you know, or until it affects somebody close to you, you don't really care about it. So it was an interesting year, man. It was a, it was an interesting year. And um, I think for me personally, I, 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 I didn't enjoy the circumstances in which this movement started, but I did enjoy kind of the fruit that came from it in all the conversations and even change that we saw. Well, that's that's incredible, first of all, and congratulations on recently becoming a pastor. That's, that's Thank you, man. Um, I one thing I want to ask you too is you're in North Carolina. There's no, mm. it's no secret about the leanings of North Carolina. All right, we don't have to yeah, yeah. from that. Uh, <laughs> like you said, we're on the podcast. We're gonna keep it stacked. So yeah, the, I, I'm really interested to know how they received it. Because first of all, props to you, man. Because I. I in real life, that's what everybody to deal with. I had to deal with that at work. It was the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, am I am I gonna not say anything in the fear that I might lose my job? My boss is white. My you know, all yep. my bosses are white. Like, right? Like, mm-hmm. if I if I say anything remotely or abrasive or just say how I really feel in the moment, you know, and, and you're not happy, <laughs> so you're yep. like, I'm not gonna lose my job. It's the same thing you're going through. But I'm not, I say on a larger scale for you. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're supposed to be a beacon of hope in your community, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So how did the, how did white people take mm-hmm. what you're saying? How, how did you get received? Yeah. So I think there's two sides. I'd say the overall majority was very, like, empathetic. And I'll say empathetic, like, yo, I have no idea life like that. That's your reality. And I think most people that I talked to was like, man, I didn't know. And I'm sorry. And what can I do to help reverse this sickness? That, I think that was like the majority. I also experienced the small percentage of, I had a, a police officer, I'm just keeping it a stack, um, a white police officer who goes to our church. And um, I think maybe two days or a day after, after George Floyd was killed, I did a Facebook live. And um, I just went live sharing my experiences as a black man and, and as a Christian and, and what I believe that the next step was for the church. Um, and there was a police officer who called me the next day and said, I think you got it wrong. And he wanted to sit down and have breakfast and talk about it. And without sharing too much, I think you can probably, um, infer a lot of the feelings that he had as a police officer. Mm. So, um, I will say that the majority of the conversations that I had were very positive. I think did some good, but I also had some conversations where it, and it's okay to get to this spot where it was like, Hey, we're just not going to see eye to eye on this and we don't have to agree. Um, but I think there, I think for a lot of people, it was like a, a line in the sand, you know what I'm saying? Like now that this is all out and you've kind of shown me who you are, I don't think, I don't think we're, we're meant to be in each other's lives right now. You know what I'm saying? And that was another part of it. It's like 2020 helped us see people for who they really are. You know what I'm saying? A lot of the people that we went to high school with and we thought we were cool, they're the same ones posting some crazy stuff on Facebook or Instagram. For me, it was eye-opening, you know? Um, So, and I'm sure you guys have experienced that, but for the majority, it was pretty much well-received, but you have that small percentage of, yo, I didn't, this is, you didn't just start thinking like this. This is who you were the whole time, you know? So 
which is a sad part, but I'm also glad because now we know everybody's fans, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that was definitely a blessing this past year was you're able to see things for what it really was. Like, one mm-hmm. of my mentors always told me, he said, Tone, it's a real blessing that you can see it for what it is. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, my mind, I'm like, yo, he just talking some nonsense, trying to sound deep. And then I thought about it like, yo, a lot of people really don't see things and see life for what it is. They might try to make it look better than what it is. They might try to ignore it. But to be able to see things for what it really is and see people for what they really are mm-hmm. and then be able to maneuver correctly how God sees fit for your life is mm-hmm. a huge blessing because you could, it's times where people have relationships and unions that's really not meant to be friendships, marriages, whatever the case may be. So yeah, 2020 was a blessing despite everything. Yeah, you're right, right. Yeah, man. Transitioning to our last segment before we get you out of here with the quickness segment, we're going to start off with this one. What's your go-to meal? Oh, go-to meal, uh, pizza. Pizza, okay. Greg, do the honors. You already know the vibes. I know what's coming next. Before, before I do the honors, um, what's the topping on your pizza? What are, what are you going with? Sausage all day. Give me that Italian sausage. I, I can't. I can't. I can't argue that. Um, so the next thing, man, have you had the Popeyes chicken sandwich? No, man, I haven't had it. I there's a lot of Chick Fil A's down here in North Carolina, so yeah. Chick Fil A is easy to come by, but that. My wife actually tried to get it, and the line was wrapped around the corner, so I couldn't get it. <laughs> so, all right, so you're going to have to say this question for another time because I am a chicken sandwich connoisseur. Okay. I I, uh, I have tried the Popeye chicken sandwich. I have tried the Chick Fil A chicken sandwich. Obviously, I have ones I like more than the other. I don't want to sway your opinion. Although, <laughs> if you listen to the show, that's one I like more. But, yeah. Uh, but no, man. Like you, when you get a chance to try both, you let me know because I. I Again, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I don't want to give you my opinion and mess it up for you. I want you to, because Chick Fil A is like religion down there. They have them everywhere. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's different. Yeah, bro. Chick Fil A is like the standard, bro. You, when you go to Chick Fil A, you they don't miss. If they Steph Curry, they don't miss. Like you never have a bad experience with Chick Fil A. But I do want to try the. I want to compare them. You know what I'm saying? So I, I'm gonna have to try it, and then I'm gonna have to come back on the on the show so yeah, so yes, we can sir. talk about it. Yes, sir. You and your wife. Had, you know, get go get one each, and y'all just take y'all just exchange, but y'all have the bites, y'all and y'all talk. Yeah. Y'all just, you know, what, what, y'all, what are you thinking? Like, what do you? And you got the whole sandwich to kind of just figure it out. Yeah, man, let's do it. All right. So since it wasn't Chick Fil A or Popeyes, right? So then tell me, what's your top pizza spot? Oh, top pizza spot. So I'm gonna go whatever like the local whatever like the local spot is i'm not a big fan of like the papa john's domino's pizza i'll eat it but like y'all you know i'm from jersey i'm from where y'all at so i need the good i need the greasy i need the you gotta you gotta put it in the brown bag pizza like i need that you know what i'm saying like i don't want no perfect cut pizza um so whatever whatever like the local spot is that's in Chapel hill where unc is has this like world famous pizza spot so that's probably like Probably the best one in this this area where I'm at down here. Got it, got it. All right, so what's the if you had to choose corner stores in the south or corner stores up in Jersey? Up north for sure. 
Bro, they don't – first of all, it's really no corner stores down here. And the corner stores up north, yo, you walk in there, you might get a bag of chips, but you might get a bacon, egg, and cheese, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Salt, pepper, ketchup, you know? <laughs> like, I haven't, I haven't had a real bacon, egg, and cheese since I've been <laughs> in Jersey. Like, they just don't. It's just not it down here. Now you could go – you can get some barbecue. Like, everyone, everyone serves some good barbecue down here. But if I want the good, wrap it up in the foil, brown bag, get the Arizona iced tea, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's just, that's not the vibes down here. I got to come back up north to do that. Hey, we might have to try to go open up a uh, bacon, egg, and cheese spot down there. Make <laughs> Bro, some that money. might be they it. Got, they ain't got no, no spots like that down there. That's crazy. So, football yeah, head, man. who's winning the Super Bowl this year? Who I want to win, I, I want the Chiefs to win. Who I think is going to win is is uh the Bucks. I've just learned I've learned to stop rooting against Tom Brady. I just every time I he just wins too much. Every time I root against him, he ends up winning. So this is going to be the one year that I'm actually root for Tom Brady. Because Tom Brady will lose. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so we was having a debate uh, with the podcast last week since you brought up Tom Brady. Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers? You got to start a team right now. Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers? I'm going Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers may not be a popular belief, but Aaron Rodgers is the more skilled quarterback. I think Tom Brady has it up here. Like he, he probably is the better mental player. But I, when when I'm down seven and I need a touchdown, I'm giving the ball to Aaron Rodgers. Like he can extend the play, he can move, he can he he makes everyone around him better. I wonder what Aaron Rodgers' career would have been if he was on like more complete teams like Tom Brady was on. So okay, <laughs> okay, hold on, hold on, we're gonna have to stop here for a second. So Miles is a co-host on this show. Miles made the argument that that I was making excuses for Aaron Rodgers when I said that he didn't get to play with nearly as much of, of a great situation, right? Or or as or in as many great situations as Tom got to play in. He was saying I was yeah. making excuses for different Aaron Rodgers. Yo. He, he tried to compare the receiving cores that Aaron had to to Tom to Tom. It's not even close. It's Dude, not even close, bro. bro. Bro, you played you Tom Brady played with arguably the best tight end to ever play, and you played with Randy Moss at the same time and Wes Welker, and you had all of these. The year that they lost to the Giants the second time, they had they were nineteen and zero. What was it? You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. they had a super team. Yeah. Tom Brady, they he always and he always played on the good team. Like Aaron Rodgers has never played with a number one, like a first-round draft pick at receiver ever in his career, ever. You know what I'm saying? Like, even right now, Devontae Adams, he turned into the great player that he's in, but he wasn't drafted in the first round. So, Yo, you yeah. Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> you said everything to I said last week. It's like he listened to the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, you really speak it to the choir. Greg was saying all of that verbatim. So, like, yeah. no different. No different. Hey, no Claude, different. come back anytime, bro. Open invitation. <laughs> what the heck? It's kind of like, right. like, um, like what James Harden was doing. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
you play forever on this team and you're the best player, clearly. They didn't surround him with, you know, well, some people, you know, he got Westbrook, he won Westbrook, he got Chris Paul, but at the end of the day, like, if there's only so much you can do with the talent you have before you, you got to make a change. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to make a bold prediction. I'm going to say that if they don't surround him with better players this year, I think Rodgers is going to gonna force a trade or he's going to try to get out of Green Bay. Oh, for sure. That's what I thought, too. I thought it was going to happen this year, this summer, but he's being nice. So yeah. they, 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 they Green Bay fans, they get one more year of Aaron Rodgers. And if they mess it up, which they probably will, because yeah. that coach is an idiot, then <laughs> we're, we're going to be looking at Aaron Rodgers play somewhere else, probably 49ers. And they draft they draft the quarterback for, with their first pick in the, in the first round? Disrespectful. 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 Exactly. Man, I knew I like Claude, man. <laughs> <laughs> Claude is also a Giants fan, so I'm going to ask you, do you believe in Daniel Jones as your future quarterback, at least for now? Mm. No. What don't you like Do about Daniel believe. Jones? I, I want to hear what you don't like about Daniel Jones. All right, so this will be going into his third year. Like we've seen enough football. We've seen you play enough football. Like you've you like coaches used to say, I know what you can do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you show me all that you can do. At your very best, you can move in the pocket. You you're a running threat. Like you you have the wheels. He has wheels. You know what I'm saying? But you can you can't carry a team. And the Giants the Giants were one game away from making the playoffs this year. Like, all they had to do was win that last game. And he even showed, like, with a good defense that he can't get it done. He, What I think, personally, Daniel Jones is going to be, I think he's going to be, he's going to make a career out of being a number two quarterback. Like, solid backup. He's going to, you know what you're getting with him. The Giants seem to get in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes and trade the farm to get Deshaun Watson, get him with Saquon. Get get bring bring Giants football back. I'm not I'm not against the idea of trading with Deshaun Watson. I I think it's smart. I think any team should do. It. Okay, so I'm I'm, yes. there with, I'm there with you on that. But uh-huh. Daniel Jones, I have been a avid Daniel Jones supporter, and the biggest reason why the big the biggest reason why for me is because I, I I've seen what he can do when the situation is far from perfect offensively. They don't have a number one wide receiver. They don't, mm-hmm. right? Like Slayton's not number one. We can agree on that, right? Slayton's yeah. not. And Shep, Shep is. I love Shep. He's a slot guy, right? Like, but yeah, okay. you need to get him. You need to get him weapons. You need to see what he is when he has weapons. He does a. I think he does a really nice ball. I do. I, some of the decision making you see early with rookies. That's gonna happen with all rookies across the league, unless your name's mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes. And guess what? <laughs> if you don't talk about Patrick Mahomes, bro, he walked into a golden situation. Like Josh yeah. Allen. Golden situation this year, and look what happened. It could took off. Josh Allen couldn't throw a ball into the ocean last the year, the years before. And when he played against man defense last weekend, right? What happened? They tightened up those windows, and what was happening? He, he looked like Josh Allen. He looked like Josh Allen. That's what happened. All right. Yeah. I, I'll be honest with you right now, too. My my thing against Josh Allen for anybody who's listening right now, and I'll I'll say this again for the people for the regular podcast, <laughs> is that Josh Allen to me is a perfect example of white privilege. He came into the NFL with all the weaknesses they say black quarterbacks have without even ever watching black quarterbacks play. And for some reason, because he throw the ball a long way, everyone was convinced it was going to work out. But when, I don't know, we can name it, Dwayne Haskins comes to the league, right? Or or just name other big, big-time black quarterbacks, right? Even Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. He, teams, teams, teams that pass him are going to try to trade for him now. 
Isn't it crazy? Yeah. It's Mitch yeah. Trubisky over Deshaun Watson. And he won the national yeah. championship on one leg, right? <laughs> you got to be twice as good to get half yeah. as much, right? That's so, a fact, man. That's you know what I'm saying? Like, I can't I can't stand that. And so it's Josh. I know Josh Allen seems like a good guy. But he he is an emblem for white yeah. for white privilege in the NFL, yeah. and that that's my thing. So uh, I know we got a course, but I, yeah. I do I like I like Daniel Jones. I think we have to give him a shot. Draft Jalen Waddle. Let's see what happens. Give him some weapons, and then we'll yeah. talk, talk again. Yo, the next time next time I got to come back on, but the, it's it's almost the same situation with Steve Nash and the Nets, like. Yeah how do you get that job? Like, I understand if you're, you've been a head coach before, you've been a coach at all. He's never coached before. Never. You know mm. what I'm saying? And you, you not only get a job when there's other black coaches who should have been considered, but um, you got that, you got the best job in the NBA. You got, you got the job where Kevin, Kevin Durant is healthy now. Kyrie is healthy. And James Harden is going to force his way to Brooklyn. And you get that job. You know what I'm saying? That's a, that's another conversation for another day, but it's yeah. I mean, I've got my curious about it. I was thinking about it last night. Funny enough, too. Um, it, yeah. It's quick enough where I can say it too. Like, I think that he got the job because they first of all he's friends with the general manager, so yes, there's that connection. Mm-hmm. It's 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 nonsense there. It's not like he was the most disappointing mm-hmm. candidate. It wasn't, but also yeah. because he's a guy. Steve, I don't think anyone dislikes Steve Nash, and they want yeah. to bring in a guy that could be Kyrie, and KD, mm-hmm. and James Harden's friend and therapist as opposed to being a coach. And that's why yeah, we're here yeah. in a situation where these guys don't have to, defense is optional every night, and here we are. And so they're trying to they're trying to overcompensate. But lucky for the Nets, they don't have to be a great defensive team to win. They really yeah. don't. They have to be average. Yeah. They're not even average. Right, right. They're the worst defensive team I've ever seen. <laughs> so that's the problem. But yeah, you know, and it, it doesn't make it any better. By the way, so there's that. Who you got winning the NBA championship? As a Nets fan, I gotta say the Nets, but. Um, I hate to go against the Nets, but I'm, I just I haven't seen enough from the Nets yet. If Philly looks really good right now, I think LA, the Lakers, and the Clippers are always going to be legit. But if the Nets can figure out, like you said, if the Nets can figure out how to play a little bit of defense, like I think they they should have no problem getting to the finals. Give me the songs that you listen to before your games. What got you hype? Ah, let's see, I think I still got a playlist. Um, definitely, okay, uh, Drake over. That was definitely up there. Um, of course, Dreams and Nightmares, Meek Mill. And then um, I'll go uh, Jay-Z, What More Can I Say? Oh, yeah. Those, those, those are oh. probably top definitely getting played every before every game oh yeah definitely one more can i say that that's one right there got two more before we get you out of here uh-huh. in your opinion who has the best footwork in the game right now give me your top three p wide receivers with the best footwork mm-hmm. i'm gonna go tyreek hill mm. from the Chiefs. i'm gonna go i'm gonna go Devontae adams the packers um, another receiver, and I'm gonna probably go D Hop, DeAndre Hopkins. No, no particular order, but those are three that come to mind. Bet, bet. Last one before we get you out of here again. This is Claude Thomas. 
We thank you for taking time out of your schedule to hop on with us. Five people that are alive that you're going to have a meal with you. Ah, five people dead or alive? Yes, sir. Um, I think I probably want to have a, a meal with uh, Jay-Z and not just from, probably from the, like, how did you, how did you come from the ground up to be one of the best rappers ever, but then also uh, a businessman that everyone wants to kind of follow. Jay-Z, um, I'd probably say uh, five. I don't know five. Um, Jay-Z, LeBron, I would go um, probably like uh, Martin Luther King Jr., probably. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Jackson. Uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes. Hey, and, okay. And uh, oh, number five, number five, number five, number five. Um, and and Victor Cruz, Victor Cruz. I'll be the crew. <laughs> that's not a that's not a bad table right there at all. No, it's not a bad table. But hey, I appreciate I appreciate y'all having me, man. Thanks for uh thinking about me. Thanks for having me on the show. Keep up the good work, fellas. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. Uh, for those that are watching, viewing this, make sure you subscribe below. Make sure you tag a friend, share it with somebody. There's a lot of gems in this one right here. A lot of stuff that you could take from it. Life, football, Christianity, it's a lot of things. Whichever way you want to look at it, you could take something from this. Share it with your, even your baby mama, your uncle, whoever. If y'all not talking, I'm sure this episode can bring bring y'all together on some level but y'all know the vibes bench mob if you stay ready you do not have to get ready bench mob we out peace peace